Hi, and thanks for tuning in to My Adventures at Home Brewing. I'm Dan Matthews, and come along with me as we talk about things for new home brewers, from gadgets to how we got started to, I don't know, all the mistakes we make along the way. So come along for the ride and have a beer or two along the way. looking for that yeast that can help you attain the best beer possible that you're looking for escarpment laboratories escarpment laboratories are located in guelph ontario and make some of the finest yeasts in canada if you want to make the beer that you want and have consistent results all the time you need to check out escarpment laboratories hey guys dan here have you ever had a problem getting your glass or plastic fermenter clean? Well, I've just been introduced to something that's brand new. Uh, it's called Scrubber Duckies. It's a magnetic scrubber meant for glass or plastic fermenters. All you do is you drop this down inside your fermenter, use the handle, and scrub through the crud that's left over from the crucin. I've seen a lot of things, but this is, seems to be one of the neatest and coolest things out there right now. If you're having a problem getting your plastic or glass fermenter clean, this is something to use. Scrubber duckies. Hey everybody, it's that time one more time to go around the sun once more and have a beer or two along the way and say hi to Coulter from Homebrewing DIY. Hey Dan, thank you for having me back on your podcast. Excited to be here. Thanks, man. So uh, those you who don't know, uh, I met Coulter uh, actually through podcasting. Um, I've been listening to his podcast for a long time. And it actually inspired me to start my own. And then I reached out and said, hey, would you want to be on a podcast? And it just kind of snowballed from there. And I've been inundating this guy with all kinds of questions <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I'm like, sooner or later, he's going to tell me to get lost. <laughs> actually, that's the opposite of what's going to happen. We're oh, homebrewers. Yeah. So if you're going to ask me a question about homebrewing, I want to answer it if I can. So. Well, that's always good. So uh, today, we're, guys, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, all things fermentation and fermenters. So uh, those of us who are just starting getting in, there is a wide range of different things you can use, be it from a glass or plastic carboy to a plastic bucket with an airlock to stainless steel conicals, brew buckets, the new Firmzillas, the new Catalyst uh, fermentation vessels and, and whatnot. There's so many different ways to skin a cat and I can only talk to what I know. And I'm pretty sure Coulter has a, some pretty cool ways because he's been doing this a lot longer than I have. Yeah. I've been home brewing since about 2013 hardcore. I brewed my first batch in 1998. So uh, it's been a while. Yeah, it's, it's only been a while. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for me, uh, what, I started off with using like um, a glass carboy and a plastic bucket just because when I got back into it, I didn't have any on my kit anymore. I sold it all just because I was just like, it's sitting in the basement. I I got kids. I've got dogs. I'm not going to have time to break this stuff open. So um, there was a young guy working were at the brewery I'm at. And he was saying, hey, look, I'm looking at doing this. I'm looking at getting like the LME and doing it that way. And I'm like, dude, you work in a brewery. <laughs> what better way to actually learn how to do it like you would in a brewery than asking the guy who's employing you all kinds of questions. 
but to each their own. Well, I, I'm, I would actually say that he's not necessarily going about it in the wrong way. And because for me, the first step to brewing great beer is learning how to ferment. Essentially, if I, I would say 99% of the problems I ever have in a beer have to do something went wrong during the fermentation. And so for me, that, that is the most critical phase when it comes to a brew. And so for me, if you can learn how to ferment well using extract, DME, LME, however you want to get there, you're going to be a better brewer if you can learn to ferment before you start piling on things like mashing and all the other pieces. So it, to be honest, it's not a, a bad way to start out when you're thinking about, hey, do I want a homebrew? And, and that's why a lot of homebrewers start with extract batches. Or if you walk into a homebrew shop, they're like, here's a kit. This is the easy way to learn how to homebrew. Yeah, and I can see that. I mean, that's how I started with uh, the uh, Cooper's LME in a can. Me too. And, yep. And um, yeah, it it wasn't great. No, it wasn't great at all. So, Heiko, um, that's how I started with was with LME, and it wasn't great beer. Uh, and I guess that's part of the reason why eventually I just stopped doing it because I just got frustrated and. Thought and having a toddler poking his fingers into it, um, <laughs> um, because with the kit I got, it didn't come with a lid to go over the bucket or an airlock. So I figured, well, okay, well, saran wrap and bungee cords, it'll do the same thing. What, what, what can go wrong? See, and that these are the things I'm talking about when it comes to fermentation, right? Fermentation yeah. is such a key piece, and there are certain shortcuts you shouldn't take. To me, it's don't get me wrong. There are beers that do really well in an open fermentation. For example, there are certain strains of Saison yeast that are really pressure sensitive and putting them in a glass carboy with a piece of tinfoil over the top is, is the right way to make those beers. But for the most part, when you're talking about doing a very clean ale or an IPA or something like that, you definitely want to keep oxygen out once the fermentation process has started. And so you want to have a good airtight container to get going. And let's, let's actually talk about some of the ways people start out. Like, like you said, you had the, I had the carboy in the bucket. Yeah, you had the, you had a carboy in a bucket. And to be honest, that's how I started. My first kit came with a bucket, a bottling bucket and a glass carboy. It was an extract kit in the extract kit. It told me to take it from the fermentation bucket into a secondary fermentation within the yep. carboy and then i had a separate bucket for bottling that had a bottling spigot on it right it seems like a little bit of overkill for me because in the end the the way my system ended up being six batches in was i used my main fermentation bucket i actually had a little dorm fridge laying around and i would throw my bucket in there and cold crash it so i didn't have to do secondaries that's a whole nother conversation and we'll get into that oh, yeah, probably maybe even later yeah, but yeah. But the point is, is that a five gallon bucket works really well. And to be honest, for a plastic fermenter, they work better than most. The only and thing I'm going to say to that is that you just got to make sure you have a good seal. A good seal. Uh, a good seal. And, and sometimes I find is that the, that black gasket in there isn't always the best. So kind of what I found is, is if you go to your local hardware store, and you buy this thing called Shugu. Okay. And you just go around and it's just like a silicone sealer. You okay. just go put a light bead 
around it and you smooth it out with your fingers and you just let it dry. Then you click it on and that thing is, and it, it takes almost like a, an act of God after that to get that lid off. <laughs> well, for me, I, I've never had a problem with any of those black O-rings that are within a, a fermentation bucket, but I, I've heard of people having issues with them sealing. It, it can happen. Things, you know, Buckets are mass-produced. They may not have the right fit. But if you get one that fits well, it's going to work really well for you. And here's some of the advantages of a bucket. You can get your arm in there. They're easy to clean. clean it. Yeah. Oh, and cleaning is such a key to when you're starting out homebrewing. That, to me, is so important. You're, you're, the two things you're learning are how to ferment and how to clean. These are the two big Absolutely. things you're starting out. To, to me, for, for fermentation, I mean – having the right vessel is one thing, but making sure it's clean and sanitized is huge. There's been too many times I've talked to guys and like, Oh yeah, I don't know what's wrong. It's like, it looks like it's growing mushrooms. And I'm like, well, that's not necessarily a good thing. Your beer's probably infected, dude. And I don't want to drink that beer, right? Exactly. There's definitely, there's definitely something wrong when you, and, and here's one of the problems. You don't want to use abrasive cleaners. Oh, a no. sponge is going to be fine. And I wouldn't even recommend using, if you have a sponge with the little scratchy thing on the don't back, use don't use the scratchy thing. A little bit of OxyClean or PBW. PBW mm -hmm. is the best. I, I will highly recommend that. Absolutely. A good soak is going to get all of that organic material off, a little inside wipe with the sponge, mm -hmm. and you're good to go. Scratches are detrimental to plastic. You don't want scratches that bacteria can get in there and no matter how long it soaks in star sand or any type of other sanitizer it's not going to get rid of it it's never going to get rid of it and at that point then that bucket's gone the good thing about buckets is they're cheap you can get a brand new fermenter five bucks. yeah if you go to a hardware store you can get them for five bucks i always bought the brew buckets because they come in seven gallon formats and they have mm -hmm. the lines on them and when you're brewing having lines on things really helps so yeah, I, you, can, I you would, can get the graduated buckets over at Home Depot now. Oh, see, in, in, in Colorado, we've been out of buckets at Home Depot since the pandemic started. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, tried to buy, right. I tried to buy some buckets this year and I was like, man, is there a shortage on buckets in this town? And they're oh, like, crap. yeah, all right. All right. Everybody's, everybody's just like rushed us for buckets. I'm like, man, the random things are being out. I, I bet they're back now. But, but the point I'm trying to make is, yeah, graduated buckets are going to help you want to get a seven gallon bucket so that you have plenty of head space. If you're doing a five gallon batch, mm -hmm. if you have a five gallon batch, I'd say stick with a three gallon batch below. If you have a five gallon bucket, stick with a three gallon batch because you want to have enough head space so that you don't have any issues. And one thing that I recommend a new home brewer do is get a blow off tube. And mm -hmm. the reason I say get a blow off tube is it's going to save you so much headache. I haven't used a little airlock like the little bubbling airlock in a really long time. The last time I did, I was brewing multiple batches and didn't have enough tubes for a blow, blow off tube. I actually had four fermenters going at the same time, threw an airlock in. And of course that one exploded all over my ceiling. That's just kind of how it works. Yeah. And it, it's the one time you don't use a blow off tube. That's the time you need a blow off tube. Mm -hmm. But the point, the reason I say blow off tubes is that what, and, and I'll even explain what a blow off tube is, is it's a, if you're using a five gallon bucket, you're going to have a hole that's pre-drilled with a gasket in it that you're going to put your airlock in. So mm -hmm. you're going to have either a double bubbler or a three piece airlock. They're $2. What I've done is I take the three piece airlock and I actually take all the other two pieces, which are the little cap and the, the airlock piece that sits over the, the 
valve essentially. Yep. It's like the yeah. little airlock valve. <clears throat> I actually take all those two pieces off and then I grab a oh. piece of vinyl tubing and just jam it on top of there. And then oh. that goes right into the barb and allows you to have a blow off tube. So, and then, yeah, go ahead. What, what I do is, is I, I get those bungs and I'll get yep. a, like the piece of the, uh, the vinyl tubing yep. and I'll just make the hole big, just big enough for the tubing to go in. Yep. And then I'll seal around the tube with silicone sealer okay. on, on both ends. Uh, so okay. when the tube comes in, it's just inside of the, where the headspace is. And okay. then it's long enough to go into a mason jar full of sanitizer. Yeah. I, and, and so for me, I, I'm not so reliant on silicone. <laughs> but, but for me, it's just jam it on there. It's going to work fine if you do the three-piece valve. It's, it's, a, it's a quick, easy hack. Mine goes into my, my Mueller-Meyer flask that I usually have just made my starter in, and then I just fill it up with sanitizer, and that yeah, yeah, ends yeah, up being yeah. my blow-off tube. But I used that method for years, and if somebody handed me a five-gallon bucket and was like brewing this, I'd be like, fine, and I would have zero issues mm-hmm. with it. You're going to make fine beer, great beer. You're going to make great beer in a seven-gallon bucket yep. with an airlock or blow-off tube. Yeah, the other I mean, kind of fermenters out there – is that once you're there, you're talking about the glass carboy. Yep. And I want to be very, very clear. Glass carboys are going to work great. They're great for sour beers. They're great for bulk aging. Mm-hmm. I have a few glass carboys laying around, but I don't like to ferment in them if I can avoid it. And the reason is, is they're glass. Glass is very brittle. And I have too many friends that have had to have stitches from dropping a glass carboy and it breaking and cutting the hell yeah. out. Yeah. So I always have mine inside one of those uh, carboy carriers. Yep, I have one of those as well. So uh, it's always on that. So if I have to lift it, it's by that and then the handles that are go around the neck. So it's evenly dispersed. Yep. But yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I hardly ever use mine anymore. Uh, I've been using the, uh, I have two Firmzillas, okay. uh, which work fantastic. I, I really enjoy the fact that I, I can close the dump valve, take off the collection jar, toss what the trub or yeast if I don't want to keep it, put the jar back on, purge it with CO2, open the valve up again. What is left for sediment drops in. It's awesome. Yeah. That, that's a, those are great fermenters. And I personally not used one because they, they're a plastic fermenter. And I've mm-hmm. decided in my home brewing that I'm moving away from plastic altogether. Yeah, you're not doing that, kegs. Yeah, I, I'm now fermenting in kegs. A, because it's the cheapest stainless steel fermenter you can buy, right? <laughs> yep. And right now they have a sell on Adventures in Homebrewing's homebrewing.org for $39. Really? So if oh. you're listening to this this week, go check it out. They got a deal. Use my sponsor link on my website. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. You can That's... edit out my plug if you need to. Uh, no, it's but... all right. I'll leave it there because I was going to do a plug for Scrubber Duckies because now I got them as a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But... That's awesome. Yeah. Scrubber duckies is a, is also a great sponsor and, and a great way to clean a carboy. Right. Oh yeah. So yeah, I I've been using mine now for whenever I use a carboy, we, I use my scrubber ducky, but even then I use my scrubber ducky when I'm cleaning things like my kegs because stainless steel doesn't mm-hmm. magnets don't stick to it. And so if I have a tough spot I need to get to, I, I have a carboy washer and a, in a keg cleaner and it's it's a home 
homemade thing, homebrewing DIY. It's a, it's a DIY project where I've got a pond pump that goes up some copper yep. hose that sticks straight up. You can set it right over. Yep. It fits just at the perfect to where it sprays the entire inside. Put a little PBW in there yep. and run it through. It's, it's amazing, by the way. Just highly recommend that. But what I'll do is as I'm cleaning my keg that I just fermented in, there's still some cruisin ring in there. Croissant ring, sorry, get my speech right. Croissant, and Croissant, same thing. Same thing. <laughs> but what I'll do is I'll take the scrubber ducky and run it around as I'm going and doing the cleaning. So it, the scrubber ducky is a, a great way and a great cleaning tool for all carboys, all types of cleaning. I mean, obviously a bucket you can get your arms and shoulders oh, yeah. into, but if you're doing something where you've got a carboy cleaner like I do and it's upside down, you have constant water being sprayed into it with a pump, you can use the scrubber ducky to clean at the same time. So I, I, it, it is not only for carboys, it's for yeah. other. It has Man, other I'm items. not as handy as you in building stuff. <laughs> Trust me. I, I, my, I'm less I'm less handy than you think I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I had I've had guys try to explain to me how to build an eye spindle and, and whatnot. And I'm like, okay, you're talking to an ex-combat arms guy. 21 <laughs> years in the army. I make things go boom and fall apart, not put together and stay together. So um, but uh <laughs> uh I I do have a uh, I think it's a Mark II keg carboy washer yeah so it's like a plastic tray that comes with a pond pump with a spout yep. that comes up and a piece same that, idea exactly that thing has been a godsend for wash because i believe it or not i got given a kegerator and four kegs and a You're regulator dude oh my god i was like do you want money do you want beer no i just wanted to go to a good home done man so, so I love homebrewers. Is, exactly. Hey, sometimes, and some people have done the hobby for a long time. They've just got to get out of it. You know, things change. You move away from it. That that that's fine, and it's great when you can when people are cool like that. For example, my keggle that was my original setup, uh, my burner, and I had a keggle. I'm now doing electric brewery, and that's a whole different thing. But mm -hmm. when I was doing my original burner setup that was given to me for 20 bucks from a home brewer who happened to be moving. And he was like, I don't have the room to do this. I've got to move in two days. And I was like, Hey man, I'm going to brew a ton of beer. The cool thing is that I just sold it. I think about a month ago. And this is so cool. I sold it to a guy, you know, on a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. It was a, a local, a local home brewers, Facebook group. I posted it. The guy came over and bought it. And then Two days later, he showed, he texted me a picture of him brewing a batch of beer on that. And was like, yeah, you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's, so. It's always good to see things like that happen. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Um, so so, so back, I guess back to fermenters, right? Yeah. So what do you think about um, SS Brewtech and Spike stuff? I mean, I've been looking at possibly taking the, the plunge and maybe getting uh, a Spike uh, Flex Plus fermenter. Okay. And I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I'm think I'm having really good success with uh, the Firmzillas. I mean, the only downside to them is, is that I had put in a Czech Pilsner to ferment in one and I saw it was leaking. And I'm like, okay, easy fix. I got one here. I know doesn't leak. Crack it open, put it in, sealed it. I purged out the air with CO2. Yep. And I'm like, okay. And I'm, and I'm looking and I'm like, something like i put the spunding valve on and i'm like something's not right i'm like i'll let it go for the night it probably just needs to have you know the yeast get active again whatever else and come back the next morning and i'm still smelling 
like that's all right so i was um i was smelling like beer or and and like co2 and i'm like what's going on i go and go downstairs and i'm like oh no it was all over the floor. <laughs> I'm like, no. So I ha- like, and I, I, like, I took off the uh, the uh, the jacket I got for the fr- the insulated jacket I got for the fermenter or whatever, and it went from being a, this really nice, beautiful golden color to poo brown. And I'm like, you're oxidized. You're 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 pro- probably really infected. Just dump it and start over. So yeah. I had I had to take everything apart, put keg lube on everything. Teflon tape on all the threads, and now the thing is—they both rock now. Yeah. Well, here, here's a couple of things that I would say when it comes to me and the way I look at a fermenter now. I've, you know, brewing as long as I have at this point. For me, the first thing I would say is I don't want to have something that is going to pla- plastic. To me, is a fine material, specifically when you're starting out and doing mm. things like buckets, right? Yep. But my, my one issue with plastic is that it breaks and it, mm. it, it can struggle under pressure, though the Firmzilla is a high quality plastic. They've mm. got a, it's intended use as a fermenter. It's not something where some, like a bucket, somebody's turned into a fermenter. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, and so for me, I, I'm surprised that they, it could have an issue, but being plastic, it can have that type of issue. Whereas with stainless steel, you're never going to have problems with things not properly sealing. You're probably going to yeah. use Teflon tape and things like that. But, but in the end, it's intended use is to hold liquids and usually is built as a fermenter. And as far as feedback toward that, so when we're talking about stainless steel fermenters like SS Brewtech and Spike Brewing. And there's a lot of other brands, brands out there. I think Blickman probably has their own yep. type of fermenters, I right? Think Blickman and Anvil do. Anvil. Yeah. And, and Anvil is basically like, is made by Blickman is their, yep. their economy brand, right? The, the thing is, is that when you look at those different brands, the things I would look at is the quality of the stainless steel. You yep. want to have a good quality like like a thicker or a higher grade of stainless steel, yep. that's going to help you to have a piece of equipment that's just going to last longer. That becomes way more important when you're talking about brew kettles. But mm. even in a fermenter, if you're just if you're going to buy quality, you might as well get the quality because you're going to be spending hundreds of dollars on a fermenter. You might as well get the best one. Exactly. I mean, if you if you got that kind of money to to drop right away, just go for it. Yeah, get uh, get the good stuff. You'll never buy it again. Exactly. Right? Stainless steel, you're never buying this again. Yeah. The the other piece is that when I my my neighbor across the street specifically has a brew bucket from SS Brewtech. He loves it. Couple of things that I would say and these are these are the things to think about when you're going with a large conical type fermenter. For and even the Brewzilla would fall within this is when you're at this scale, you're 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 past the sp- the point of brewing in five gallon buckets, you're probably past just brewing in your basement. You're probably looking at things like temp control and fermentation chambers, right? You want to get something that A is going to fit within your fermentation chamber. So Mm -hmm. if you have, let's say you're using a stand-up fridge and you go and buy a fermenter that's not going to fit in your stand-up fridge anymore. You've now got to chuck that fridge and figure out another way to keep it cooler at temperature. Yep. Jackets are going to work. Belts are going to work. There's all different ways of getting there, but you got to figure that out. The other part is that 
if you are using things like a chest freezer and you go and buy a 15 gallon fermenter that's going to fit in there, you're never getting it out of that fermenter full. Nope. Forget <laughs> that unless you're He-Man. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and so these are the type of things you need to think about. And, and, and a great example would be my neighbor across the street has a 15 gallon brew bucket. He does 10 gallon batches and he needs help to get that into his refrigerator. <laughs> And he had to build an entire wood plank to support all the weight inside of it, right? Because you oh, know it's no. a stand-up fridge, yeah, it fits yeah, in yeah, it just yeah. fine. But he had to build a wood plank so that it could actually handle the weight of having ten gallons yeah. of beer. So it doesn't go through the, pl- the plastic. Yeah. Exactly. So these are the things you got to think about when you're using temp control mm-hmm. and you've got these larger format fermenters mm-hmm. and you're doing more than a five gallon batch. So for so. me, my, my fermentation chamber, and I kind of lucked out on this is that, um, for like a hundred and yeah, for 125 bucks, I got a new to me wine fridge. Yeah. And I throw uh ink burn on it. My carboy fits in it. Great. Overgoes a blow off tube. No harm, no foul. And when it yep. comes time to cold crash, put it into a keg into the kegerator. Yeah, that work that would work. That see, and that's gonna work great. One thing I I've I actually my first little mini fridge that I had was a little wine fridge like that, and I could actually get it below forty, and yeah. so I would just cold crash in there and then move it over. Yeah, uh, mine me. mine only goes down to like to fifty two degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, so yeah, I was I was lucky. Mine went below forty. <laughs> It was it, it was hard to get there, but it got there. Yeah, but it's you're in the you're up in the Rockies out in Colorado, so I don't I wonder why. <laughs> Come on. It's so, not that cold here. It was 80 degrees today. <laughs> I hate I hate you. I really do. <laughs> but yeah, no, so for me it's um fermenting in, in the Fermazillas is great. Um and I, I can understand fermenting inside of a, a keg, but how do you deal with um, like the pressure and all that. I mean, I yeah. know they're, they're they're good to a they're they're good to a, a significant amount of pressure, but sooner or later you have to re- release it somehow. So there's a couple ways you can do that. You can ferment under pressure in a keg. There's a special lid you can buy for the keg that actually allows you to put a spunding valve on it, and you okay. can go that way. I don't do any of that. I actually just have a gas post with a tube and make it into a blow off tube. So I go oh. onto the the in portion of it. Yeah. Put that, put the, you know, the gray in portion ball lock on it with a tube that goes into a jar bucket of, san- of sanitizer. sanitizer. And, and that's my blow off tube. That's actually how I do it. A couple of cool tricks with fermenting in kegs though. If you, you, you're going to have a yeast cake at the bottom. Yeah. Right. And you're going to have to transfer it out through the liquid line. And that goes all the way, way the bottom, down. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so if you're sucking your beer off the bottom of the yeast cake, you're going to pull a, when you're transferring from keg to keg, you're going to get a shitload of yeast. So a couple of little tricks. If you have a dedicated keg for fermentation and not for serving, you could just take your, your, your dip tube and cut an inch off and you're going to be good to go. But then at that point, that dip tube can only be used for fermentation. Yeah. So a good use for that would be, let's say you had a keg that didn't hold pressure, take the dip tube off, saw it off, and then you, you use it as your fermenter dip tube. The other thing is for about $15, and I, this is what I did, is I bought a floating dip, dip tube. I, I got it from like Keg Connection, mm-hmm. and it's cool. It's, it's, it's like a stainless steel ball or it's yep. a metal ball that basically floats on the top. With it's a silicone always, tube. With a silicone tube that yep. is always pointing down. It, it's yep. pretty cool how they do it. 
And at that point, you're going to be, you, when you're transferring your beer, you're just transferring from the top. And then once you get to the trouble, you stop. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's the true hack to, to fermenting in a keg is the floating dip tube. And the best part is, is that if you use the floating dip tube to serve your beer, your beer is going to be clearer faster. Yeah. Because you're pulling from the top instead of the bottom. I mean, I have that in both the Firmzilla. So when I do uh, from fermenter to keg to carbonate it, I just go from out to out for for liquid and let it do its thing. And that floating dip tube has been a godsend. Yes. Absolute godsend. But I have been thinking about getting one of those um, filters uh, to go on the end of it. I mean, I have seen uh, people saying uh, they've had issues with it, um, saying that, they can't get it to sync properly. I mean, I know you had Olivia uh, on yep. a while back and she yep. uses that in her kegs. Yep. So, I mean, I, I, that's one. We're now I, to where my whole homebrew club is using those in our kegs. It's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing here in my little area that I can't find. So I'm going to have to go online to uh, into the States and find it. Yeah, you you the other trick you might be able to do, and this is something that I've done with my kegs when I'm serving a really hazy IPA, and let's say I threw some hops in the keg, mm-hmm. right? And I and nothing is gonna clog your tap system faster than a, a big hunk of hops in there, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the tricks that I've done is you take the the dip tube itself and you, you know, take one of those like little muslin bags you would normally put hops in. Yep. And I would just kind of rubber band that to the bottom of the oh. dip tube and then put the dip tube in. And then when it's sucking through, it's kind of acts as a filter to keep hops out of your beer when you're, when you're serving. So you that. might be able to piece something like that together mm-hmm. to kind of work on a floating dip tube as well. I, I don't know. I, I'd have to think about that a little bit more, but there's definitely a way of probably doing it yeah. that way. And I you just thought, soak it in sanitizer before you put it in. I would have thought like it's one of those regular mesh nylon bags. You just put the whole thing in that and then just tie it off. And after you soaked it in sanitizer and drop it in. That would work as well. Just get a really small one. And nylon is going to be food grade safe. Yeah. You're, you're not worried about it making you sick or anything, which is something to always think about. So if you're looking at plastic fermenters, just throwing this out at you. Make sure it's food grade plastic you're using. Yeah. And, 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 and it's easy to tell. Just grab the, the bu- bucket, look on the bottom. If it's got it'll a number two it. on it, it'll say food grade on it. But if it's got the number two on the recycle, that's you're, also food grade. You're good. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of weird how I've seen some people like, yeah, oh, yeah, I went to my local paint store and I bought a paint bucket. I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> no bad idea uh there's a there's a lot of off gassing on those things that not good for beer you want food grade food grade everything you you've gotta you you gotta think like hey when you're making beer you're making a food product you are going to ingest this in your body don't get me wrong it's okay to be frugal that's part of the diy culture around homebrewing that's fine Mm -hmm. but you also don't ever want to compromise safety for a batch of beer and 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 things like, hey, I dumped some grain on the floor. I sweep it up and throw it away. I'm not going to just go put it uh, yeah, in my beer. That's, it, yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I do, I'm just not – I think of it as you need to be as sanitized, sanitary as if you were eating at a restaurant and you were serving your friends at your restaurant. Exactly. And you need to think that way when you're thinking of sanitation, cleaning, 
And, and fermentation is only going to help be good because you do those things. And that's one thing I try to stress to everybody is one, uh, everything needs to be uber clean. I mean, OCD in cleaning is a good thing. Hey, you're a military guy. I'm sure your stuff is clean as hell. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I honestly, I just brewed, uh, yesterday and I was cleaning out the, uh, my, um, my robo brew and I usually have no problem getting it clean, whatever else. This is the first time I've actually had to let it soak overnight with PBW in it to get it clean. And it's, it's do that. And I, and then I'll run like sanitizer through it, like no tomorrow. And then I'll cap it off saran wrap and tinfoil over the top to keep shit out. And that's me. Yeah. Well, a couple of things is that if you're having problems getting your stainless steel clean, a good trick is to pacify it. So mm -hmm. take some sanit so take some sanitizers like StarSan, some acid-based sanitizer. Get rubber gloves on. You're not going to want to do this barehanded. And you're going to take a paper towel, dip it into the straight undiluted solution, and you want to rub that into your stainless steel. Mm -hmm. And what that's going to do is pacify that steel and allow you to have, it'll actually protect it against that discoloration and the ability. And it also will protect you from having build up a beer stump. Yeah. And so, and, and that's what I have problems with in my stainless steel kettles is I do, I, I, I would say if there's anything that I see time and time again, even when I go to my friend's house is you get a, a bit of that, like it's, it's a little like beige off color you yep. get after you've boiled a few times. Yeah. And that's beer stone. And that, and what that is, is that's basically the, 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 the sugars and the salts kind of building up into this like alkaline, yeah. like coating. And, and the best way to protect your equipment from that is when you get a new piece of stainless steel equipment, pacify it. Buy it. Yeah. And then the other piece is to really, really clean it with acid. If you, if you need to get it off. Yeah. So I've been fortunate with the robo brews that I haven't had to, uh, use acid wash. It's been, it got pacified the first time I used it. And then it's been PBW every time to clean that thing. And this is the only first, this, this is the only time I've ever had to let it soak over overwards, uh, overnight. Um, here's something for fermentation that you may be able to answer. Um, yeah. Kettle sours inside of your actual kettle. I mean, this is something that I've been dreading trying to do because um i've heard too many horror stories about it because it's like well if you put it in, into your kettle no matter what you do your kettle's not going to get clean there's going to be bacteria in there and whatnot and <clears throat> excuse me i'm not exactly sure what to think anymore i would say that kettle sours are going to be fine and here's why you're talking about temperature type you're using temperature to basically sanitize yep. and you're not you're actually not sanitizing there's there's two things when it comes to cleanliness one is called sanitation which is we use chemical sanitizers right mm -hmm. such as star san or iodine, iodine. Be another one yeah. the the other one is sanitary and sanitary is done by heat and when you are doing sanit when you sanitize you sorry sterile so the service yeah. sterilization and sterilization happens through heat and so for example if i sanitize something with chemicals there's always going to be a place where that chemical doesn't hit or something like that you're basically just reducing the load 
so that whatever you're throwing on it is going to outcompete because you just reduced the the anti the microbial load. Sterilization means there's no microbes when you're done. And because you're boiling liquid, and that's why we boil things for 15 minutes, is you're essentially making it into a sterile liquid. And so you shouldn't have any issues. The one prop place you could run into an issue would be your three ball valve, because mm-hmm. it may not get hot enough to actually be a, a sterile environment, especially if you're doing electric brewing. But here's the key to that is just make sure that that gets really, really clean and you'll have no issues. Kettle sours, I think, are not a problem because you're actually putting them into what ends up becoming a truly sterile environment versus you're just trying to sanitize it. And so a kettle sour, I wouldn't see an issue. And and you see breweries do kettle sours all the time instead of doing true sours Mm. because they don't want to put the bugs from a true sour into their fermentation process because that is where you could have cross-contamination of equipment and things like that because these are the things that you're not actually putting into a heat sterilized process you're using chemicals to actually do the sanitation so So i have a friend out here uh in ottawa who has i I believe and this he hasn't corrected me yet he has the only sour beer producing solely only sour beer producing brewery in Canada. Okay. And it's called Small Pony Barrel Works. And Sean is like, he goes from the kettle to a brief fermentation straight into uh, wine barrels. Okay. And he makes some really great stuff. And he's, he's always said, if you do what I do, you are now committed to do that because he used lactose bacillus, he used Britomyces, all the wild strains of yeast. And I'm like, I'm glad you're around because I'm too scared to do that. Yeah. And and you are committed on the fermentation side, right? Especially if you're doing barrels and those barrels yeah. are going to have all those bugs in them. And that's not a bad thing. They're, they're going to taste delicious, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and a great example is here, New Belgium Brewing in Colorado has a huge, I mean, a huge sour brewery. You, you probably wouldn't think New Belgian when you think sours because I don't, I, I'm sure they're distributor them all over the place, but you know, everybody thinks of like fat tire and those yeah. beers, but they actually have a gigantic sour brewery and it is completely separate from the main brewery. They're, they're, really? they're, they're on the same campus, but they're on other opposite ends of the facility so that they can't cross contaminate each other. There's actually a lab, and there's actually a lab between the two. Right. And so, the, the, and the reasoning being is that their separate fermentation area for sours only does sours. And, and the way they do sours is they make a dark beer and they make a light beer. Yeah. They, it, they, they even gave them names and I can't remember the names, but it's like, it's like Bill and Holly, right? Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And when, what they do is they take each light or dark and they just put them into these gigantic wooden fermenters that they imported from Belgium. Mm-hmm. And the, the, as the beer comes out, they just put new beer in the top. And that's what, Oh, it's almost like, they, it's like kinetic. It's like a, like a living, yeah. a living thing. It's a living thing. And, and then all they do is then take all of those beers, blend them together. And then that's the beer you get is a sour. And it, it's, it's, it's really an amazing thing to go and see because it's a large scale and you know, they're, they're one of the larger breweries in the country. But the idea is that, 
yes, you on the cold side, you want to have a separate area for your sours from your your clean beers, right? Absolutely. Um, or if you're going to use equipment for sour beer, it becomes only used for sour beer. So specifically plastics, if yeah. you're doing a homebrew scale, if you use you you want to have whatever you're you're pulling beer out to bottle with, all that kind of stuff, all it's your committed. plastics, it's committed to your sour brewery, and and that is actually. The best use for glass carboys is for bulk aging of your sours. Yeah, because I was doing I was debating on whether I should try making a, um, a other a Flanders or or a uh, cherry sour. So I'm still debating, but I haven't gotten brave enough to try yet. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. If if you really want to go down the road of discussing sour brewing at a homebrew scale. I would highly recommend you talking to Brian Height, who's been on my podcast, mm-hmm. and and he's also Canadian, and he's 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 a he's a he's a scientist, he's a doctor, uh, and <laughs> not, not that he does that he doesn't do that for brewing, but he right. definitely brews like he's a doctor. If that makes any uh, sense, okay, yeah, yeah, and and he does a ton of sour and wild yeast brewing, and could definitely talk about that a lot so and 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 we talk about it on my podcast so if you're if you're listening to this show and have never heard my podcast go go check out some of the brian height episodes we talk about 3d printing brewing with him recently and then we also talk about building a yeast lab at home with him and it's really cool colter is one of the coolest guys out there folks and i and i can't say thank you enough for coming out and or reaching out virtually and talking with us today, bud. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to have to send you a picture of the, of the brewery in the basement now that it's kind of sort of set up. I'd and, love to uh, check it out. Yeah. yeah. And um, again, guys, check out Whole Brewing DIY. Coulter is full of really cool information, has a lot of great guests, and hopefully sooner or later we can actually meet in person and have a beer in person, which will be nice. Um, well, when they have Homebrew Con again, you're going to have to go and we'll, we'll have to meet up. Uh, yeah, because we'll have to do like podcast against podcast. Come on! Oh man, we could totally do that. We'll, we'll, it, let's hope that Homebrew Con actually happens in 2021. Fingers crossed. Uh, I'm hoping. I'm hoping I'm because fingers I've, crossed. I've already got. I've already got money saved up to go. So that's that's awesome. <laughs> and yeah, that's so, the one in San Diego, right? Uh, yes, I think next year's supposed to be in San Diego. I'm actually super upset that it didn't happen in nashville this year just because i've been been trying i've been trying to get to nashville in general for three years just as like i've wanted to go to nashville and it's you know a pandemic didn't make that happen this year (laughs) (laughs) all right so pandemic aside guys thanks a lot for coming out in a beer or two along the way i'm dan and i got coulter all the way out in colorado thanks again for listening to us and we'll see you on the other side So I'd like to say thank you to Coulter for being on the show this week. It's always fun to have him on. He's got a wealth of knowledge about home brewing, and I know he's always more than willing to share what he knows. Go check him out at Homebrewing DIY for his podcast and also on his website, his social medias, and everything else. And let him know that you heard about him through my adventures in homebrewing. And you know, don't be afraid to leave us a review or a comment on what you think of the podcast. It'd be greatly appreciate it and if you want just go right down to the bottom of what you use for uh, your social media so leave us a review uh, thanks a lot guys once again and uh, for coming along for the ride with a beer or two along the way and I'll see you on the other side cheers <laughs>